Welcome back to another episode of the Ready, Set, Cheer podcast. I'm Jenna Rose, joined by Antoinette Phelps, who is a former Notre Dame prep cheerleader and former MSU cheerleader. Antoinette, you recently just got back from Florida, so welcome back to the uh, cold Michigan weather. I know, I got back just in time for the snowstorm. It was, uh, it was interesting. But no, we had fun. We drove down to Florida, stayed with my mother-in-law for three weeks. She's got a pool at her house, so... My husband and I both work from home and we're homeschooling our four-year-old. I should say I'm homeschooling our four-year-old and I also have a a one-year-old at home too. So yeah, we took the time to go down there and try to get away from the winter for a little bit. And uh, now we're back just in time for all the snow. Right. Well, it's nice that you guys had that time to go down there and relax. And also you did just get back in time for some competitive cheerleading. I know. I was so excited to read that while I was gone. So yes, cheerleading is back on. So return to cheer with masks for all three rounds. At competitions, athletes need to bring their own water and food, and they'll also have a spot to put their stuff, I think, away from everyone else, like backpacks, things like that. They need to take breaks to sanitize, wash their hands, and then if they're not competing, so if they're not on the floor, they need to be practicing social distance. And the new thing is that there's only going to be four schools competing at each time now this year. So each competition, four schools, they're calling them quads now. So that is what we're doing. Interesting. Interesting times. No, very. And it's cool to see that everyone is still continuing to adapt successfully to these new changes. And on that note, we did have some competitions take place over the weekend. So can you give us some quick highlights about who you saw compete, Antoinette? Yeah, so... There was actually, it looks like about 20 competitions listed. Adams Invitational, I think, was a big one. Allen Park Quad Meet was a big one. Breckenridge had a February invite. There was a suite to compete Invitational at Lapeer High School. So there was quite a bit going on. I saw some clips from Allen Park Quad, and I was so impressed with all of the teams there. I don't know what I was expecting, thinking these people haven't been with their teams in months Some of them, you know, not even really having full practices since the summer. And to see them go out there and perform the way they did was so impressive to me. Like, I don't know what they were doing over Zoom or how these coaches were, you know, I guess we've heard from some of the coaches on how they were practicing, but these girls really held themselves accountable. And to see them go out there and perform like that was just amazing. Allen Park for that one ended up winning first. Wald Lake Western was second. Divine Child was third. And Trenton was fourth. And like I said, they all looked amazing. Allen Park was sharp. They had really cool peel-offs. They had toe-touch, herky, pike, all in round one. Really clean formation changes. It was really cool to watch. Round two, they had a toe-touch, herky, team-back tuck, team-back walkover, team-back handspring. When I saw that, I'm like, oh my gosh, where are they practicing this in their homes? (laughs) I mean, it was amazing. And then round three, they had some really pretty heel stretch full downs, which I thought was cool. Well, for everyone who's listening, you can go check out some of those clips at statechampsnetwork.com. They also have our YouTube channel, so be sure to go subscribe. But on the note of competitions, we do have a special guest joining us today on the Ready, Set, Cheer podcast. And her name is Rachel Stalick. She is an MHSAA competitive cheer official. So she's going to be able to give us the ins and outs of what they're looking for during those three rounds, during those routines. And we just hopefully will get a better inside scoop of what's going on during those competitions. 
Dance. As always, Lawrence Technological University is forming its competitive cheer and dance team. The cheer team started in October of 2020, and they're looking for more athletes. So academic and athletic scholarships are available. Lawrence Tech wants you to recruit yourself. All you have to do is go to ltuathletics.com and click on the Recruit Yourself link. Ready, Set, Cheer is also brought to you by the Michigan High School Athletic Association, promoting the value and values of educational athletics, and by the Detroit Medical Center's sports medicine and physical therapy team. Check out the newest Game Changers segment on State Champs Michigan's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube page to get the latest in training and injury prevention techniques. And on the Ready, Set, Cheer podcast, we are now joined by Rachel Stalick, who is an MHSAA official for competitive cheer. Rachel, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you for having me. Tell us about your experience with cheerleading and your background, how you got to this position. Well, I started coaching cheerleading in 1992 at Chesaning High School. I retired from there in 2007, but in 1994, that is when the MHSAA made cheerleading and official sport for our state. So I was right there in the very first year of it rolling out. I think I had some pretty good success with my teams. We won five state championships, two state runner-up titles, and we had 11 regional titles. In the years that I judged, they did not have the district championship like they do now. Yeah, after coaching, I just decided to take some time off because my son was in high school sports. And then once he graduated, I wanted to get back involved and the best way to do so was to become an official. That's exciting that you were there in the thick of it when it all was first beginning. And for those who are listening to the podcast, not everyone is sure exactly how the three rounds are broken down. Would you mind explaining to us what skills are required for each round and how the points are broken down? Sure. So in round one, The main focus is on jumps, and the first two jumps that are performed are the ones that are counted and scored. Now, the other jumps will have a reflection on your overall score if the the timing is off or the technique is not there. There will be a deduction with team coordination and execution, but the other things that we're looking at in round one is floor mobility, the use of the floor, different unique transitions. We're also looking for your team coordination, the timing and placement of all of your motions. We're looking for the technique in your motions. And then we're also giving you a score on voice. And then the very last score that we give is general impression. So a lot of the round one is visuals with motions, peel-offs, levels, leg flares, very very creative round for those coaches that love to put different motions together and different visuals together. The jumps have come a long way in that round. They, most teams used to just do two because that's all that was scored. But now they are doing three, four, and five jumps within that routine. So it's really changed over the years. But I think the most part, when we look at round one, we kind of consider it the jump round and then the visual effect round with with motions and transitions. And you said that was for the first round. So can you expand on the second and third? So the second round is the compulsory round, and there will be a list of different skills that the coaches can choose from. 
you perform five different skills within that round and each skill has a different point value to it. So they can be all the way up to like a 14 point skill and that's all based on a multiplier. So everything is scored in round two all from a 10 point value, but based on what skill it is, it would be multiplied by its multiplier. So for an example, a back handspring is worth 12 points. So we would score it on a 10 point scale and then a 1.2 multiplier would be added into the overall score for the back handspring. There's the five different skills. There's the motion drill that every team performs in the beginning. It's a motion drill that is recreated every two years. And then in round three, we have the open round, which is the stunt round, the gymnastics round. And teams are looking to max out in that round for point value. So everything that they do in that round has a point value to it. And each team will be required to perform certain skills if they want to receive bonus points. So for an example, if you have 16 girls on the floor, you would have to execute eight one-leg extensions in order to receive the two-point bonus for one-leg extensions. Or your team would have to perform eight back tucks in order to receive the two-point tuck bonus per judge. So the scoring value can be very different with round three, depending on how many kids are on the floor and what your point value is and what level of difficulty you're actually performing within the routine. Just watching, it seems like there's plenty of moving pieces. So as a judge, are you, again, this might be a silly question, but are you given a sheet of what's going on in each routine or are you just watching with your eye and keeping track? Prior to the competition, we do know what the two jumps are going to be in round one that the team will be performing. We also know the five skills that they're going to be performing and the order that they're in. And then we also receive a round three description sheet where the coach has basically laid out their round three for us with the point values in it. And so we w- we can see how many OLEs that team will be performing or maybe even not performing. So we will know going into that performance, this team is maxed out or this team is not going to receive OLE bonus points because they're just simply not performing them. So we do have kind of an insight of what we're about to see, but when it gets on the floor and it all gets moving, it can be a lot to watch and, and all take in and make sure that we get it right. That does sound like a lot. Rachel, speaking of points, how do teams get the most amount of points or what would you say is like the hardest skill? Well, in round two, it would be the standing back talk or the aerial cartwheel. Both of those are worth 14 points. And depending on what division you're in will be your mandate number that you have to put on the floor for round two. So if you're a division three team, you have to put eight girls on the floor. And that would mean all eight of those girls have to perform the back talk or the aerial cartwheel. And that is one of the more advanced skills for that round. And then in round three, it's your one-legged extensions and the different flares that you're doing with it that become difficult. And over the years, all OLE flares used to just be four points each. And now they made it where any one-legged flare above waist level is now worth eight points each. So 
So going back to round two, you said the hardest would be a back tuck or aerial, but you said all the girls need to perform it because round two, everything has to be exactly the same. So how many girls are on the floor then for each round? Does that depend on their division? Yes. So the round two is a mandated number. Division one for round two, you have 12 girls. Division two is 10. Division three is eight. And division four is six girls. Now, just because you're in division four and you can only put six girls on the floor for round two, that does not mean that you can't put 16 girls in round one and round three. But your numbers in round one and round three have to match no matter what division you're in. Oh my gosh, that's so confusing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then it gets even more confusing. Like if you're a division three school and you you don't have eight girls to put on the floor, you might have seven girls total on your entire team. So if you put the a number that's lower than the mandated number, then that is the number you have to have in all three rounds. You can't increase those numbers in round one and round three. Okay. So, so there's one, a lot that goes into it. <laughs> yeah. And now are you looking for all of that when you're judging or is someone out there counting to make sure that all of these people have the same amount of girls in one and three, depending on what division they are and the mandated amount for round two? Is someone doing that? Yes. Those would be the safety officials. And also on the sheets that we get as the panel officials, we do see the number that is going to be performing in each one of the rounds because the the coaches have to put that on there. But the safety officials double count that to make sure it's correct. And if it's not, they would be the ones to assess any penalties if needed. I see. So the safety judges are those side judges, right? Correct. Yes. Before we continue, we talked about how you can recruit yourself to Lawrence Technological University. Here's more. If you're a high school athlete with the dream of playing college sports, Lawrence Technological University wants you to recruit yourself. LTU offers over two dozen varsity sports for men and women, along with several dozen world-class undergraduate programs. Athletic and academic scholarships are available in all sports, including its newest additions, competitive cheer and dance, e-sports, women's hockey, and men's and women's track and field. Visit LTUathletics.com and recruit yourself. Lawrence Tech, where Blue Devils dare. Welcome back to Ready, Set, Cheer, where we are joined by Rachel Stalick, an MHSAA competitive cheerleading official. So we talked about the hardest skill, which in round two would be a team back tuck or a team aerial. I don't think I've ever seen a team aerial, but I've seen a team back tuck a couple, couple different schools have it, or I should say quite a few at this point. What's the easiest skill? Like a forward roll. Yeah. In those, I believe that I don't have that number off the top of my head, but I think that's only worth five, five points. Okay. So that has to do with tumbling. What about jumps? Cause I know those are all different. So what would be like the easiest jump would be what, like a tuck jump? A tuck jump. Yes. All the other jumps are basically on a 10 point value, like your toe touch, your herky, your hurdler, universal. Those are all worth 10 points. And then like a spread Eagle and a tuck jump, those are going to have a lower multiplier to them. I see. Okay. So now I know you, you touched on this a few minutes ago when you were talking about penalties, how would a team get a penalty? Okay. So in round one, an illegal move, like in round one, you can't perform something like a heel stretch. 
or splits or any type of tumbling cannot be performed in round one. So if a team did that, they would receive a penalty for that. If you went over on time, you would receive a penalty. If girls went off the front of the mat, they would receive a penalty. But the other thing safety officials are looking for is if the first jump is a toe touch, they're looking to make sure that every one of the girls perform that toe touch. Because sometimes girls make mistakes and they accidentally do a different jump. That would also be a penalty. Gotcha. Now, what about a penalty for something going wrong with a tumbling pass or maybe a stunt falling? What would that look like? So it's stunt falling. If a stunt just falls in the everything is caught correctly and safely, that's a one point deduction from a panel point of view, a one automatically one point off from their execution for each fall. But now if some a team falls and a girl hits the floor and she's not caught or not caught safely, then a penalty will be assessed from the, the safety officials. Uh, I see. Okay, that makes sense. Competitive cheer is always about good sportsmanship. It's a motto the MHSAA wants to reinforce across all sports. Listen to this. Sportsmanship has never been more important between the lines in athletics and outside those lines in our communities. To listen, to respect, to understand, to practice common decency, to have competition without contentiousness. Sportsmanlike qualities are essential components of life itself. Let's all work together to not only be good sports, but good people. A message from the Michigan High School Athletic Association promoting the value and values of educational athletics. Welcome back to Ready, Set, Cheer, where we are now joined by Rachel Stalick, who is an MHSAA competitive cheer official. So, Rachel, you've been involved with the MHSAA for some time now. Is there a specific program or team that you always look forward to seeing each year? There's several. I mean, there isn't really any any one. I've been impressed with the growth of this sport and how I've seen some teams advance themselves from back even when I was coaching to where I am now as an official. So there's not, no, there's not really one, one team. Every team brings a unique look, a unique style, and I can appreciate all of it from all those teams. So not any one in particular. What's your favorite skill that you've seen or anything that's really wowed you from a program? I have been wowed Overall, just in not any one skill in particular or stunt in particular, just how athletic these girls have become over the years and how they have raised the bar in this sport. I look back to when the MHSAA first brought back tucks into round two and teams were throwing them. It was a mess. I mean, it was kind of like, okay, you know, we have to start somewhere. So these teams were throwing them. And I remember sometimes when you would watch a team throw a back tuck, you would think, I'm not even sure how many girls stuck that because there was so much movement on the landing or jumps out of the skill. So it was hard to see. And then all of a sudden we started to see teams sticking the tucks. And now they're not just sticking the tucks, they're landing with their feet together. They're landing with their shoulders higher up in the landing. Just the advancement of what these teams have done, it's impressive. Even in stunting, 
what our OLEs used to look like, which are one leg extensions back when I coached to where they are now. I mean, the flexibility and the strength from the bases to achieve these skills is so impressive to me and how far these girls have come as athletes in this state. That's exciting that you've been able to watch it all unfold before you during these competitions and just dialing into your position as an official, do you have to take a test every year or what are the guidelines and requirements that you need to become an official? Well, <laughs> it's quite it's quite easy to become an official. You need to just register and, and pay your fee and you will receive your badge and booklet. The training part of it, this might not be everybody's favorite statement, but I think we need to do better in that as a whole, as for judges, coaches, everybody. I, I think the training needs to advance like this sport has because what we were looking at judging 10 years ago is completely different than what we're looking at now in this sport. And sometimes I think that training has, has lagged a little or we're not always all on the same page as to what we are looking for. So I do think we need improvement there. Again, that's probably not going to be everybody's favorite statement from me, but I'm just being honest with, with what I see and what we could be doing differently in this sport. When you look at training, what specific suggestions would you give to improve it? I know you're saying that not everyone seems to be on the same page at times with what you're looking at. I think the biggest thing that we can do is put judges and coaches in the same room together while we are um, training so that we're all hearing the same thing. Because a coach needs to understand what we're looking for. And, you know, we need to understand what, the skill is supposed to be like, what the technique is supposed to be like. Because like I said, what that back tuck was years ago is completely different to what it is now. And sometimes it's not just about the stick and the timing, but it's about the technique within that skill. And we need to be able to see those fine details within that technique because these teams are advancing and we have so many teams that could win a state championship. It's up to us as officials to really know what we're looking for and what we need to find in those small details to make the separation in who is first, who's second, and who's third, and so on and so forth. So I think we need to train more on the technique of what we're looking for within these skills. Do you find that those numbers are pretty close between first and second place? They're so close. I mean, so close. I, I think one year in the division one state finals, less than a half a point separated like first through fourth place, a half a point over three rounds. That's just insane to me. Wow, it's my, it is. And that's how close they are. And so that's why I feel like, you know, these teams are raising the bar on what they're doing. And I think we also need to re raise the bar as judges and what we're looking for so that we make sure we're getting it right. What is the highest number they can get? I want to say it's like in the 700s, but. Okay, it is. And each, each round, you know, the max that can 
you can get in each round depends on what the possibility is based on what skills you put out there. So in round one, the total points per judge is 80 points. This is just per judge, and there's three judges. In round two, the total possible points per judge is 78, and the total possible points per judge in round three is 108. So multiply that by three, and that would be your total max point. On the note of competitions, what is that all looking like this year? I mean, it seems like it's a little confusing with COVID. (laughs) This has been quite the year. They officially have competitions in the books. And from what I'm reading, they've been successful. They've been running smooth. It looks different, obviously, this year because we can only have four teams at a time in a session. So we're calling them quads now. So only four teams are rotating within those three rounds. They're wearing masks for the competitions and they have to compete with the mask. But I'm judging my first one this week at Stony Creek High School. So I'll get my first experience with it. But from what it sounds like, it's kind of rolling out just like it's rolled out every other year, just in quads and mask. (laughs) You know, one of the other things that I love about officiating is seeing the other officials and getting to hang out with them and talk with them. You know, I've met a lot of friends while officiating, and sometimes it's the only time I see them. It's either on Facebook or if we're officiating together. So it's kind of a fun season to touch base with the other officials also. I have a question about masks, Rachel. I was reading somewhere that if the mask falls down, they may get a deduction or if it comes, you know, away from their nose or mouth. Is that true? I don't believe that is. I think it was talked about. But I don't believe there's going to be a penalty if the mask falls away from the face. I believe, and I could be wrong when I state this too, but there would only be a penalty is if the mask became a safety issue. I see. And then are there any skills that they can't do this year because of COVID, like basket tosses or, you know, they're supposed to stay in their little pods? Pods, yes. That's another new word for for sure. But um, yeah, they they have eliminated some of the skills and basket toss is one of them. Doing pyramids is another one. They are not letting the middle school teams do extensions this year. So they are pulling back some of the skills for a safety point of view. And I think it's just because of what the mask can do to your vision. I know sometimes when I'm wearing a mask, I can't see my feet, (laughs) you know, if I drop something and I look down with a mask on, it's not as easy to find it as if I had a mask off. So I think all of those are, we're pulling back on those just for a safety point of view for the athletes. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember, and I don't know if this is still a thing, I couldn't wear like earrings or jewelry and things like that when I was stunting, at least in high school. So I imagine that it's going to be even harder with these masks that can get stuck on things and correct. But I I know again, this is the way that they're allowed to have a season. I just give them a lot of credit because I know I've said this on other podcasts, but trying to do a back talk with a mask on would have been pretty impossible. I I I give them a ton of credit. And and I've seen some of the the performances on Facebook that coaches, you know, post and I've just been wowed too because I think to myself, gosh, those girls were working hard even when they didn't have to, you know, they weren't held accountable coming to a practice. They're, they're doing these practices over zoom or, you know, video calls, whatever it is. 
And then I see what they brought out to the mat so quickly. And it just goes to show the commitment that these athletes had and how hard they were working. And I, I was kind of in awe of that. And it was one of those things that kind of left me speechless and I'm not one that's left speechless too often, but it was, I, I was really impressed with what I saw last week, just in video. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it live this week. I completely agree with you. And I was watching some of those clips. I was like, it doesn't even look like they've had time off from each other. I know. They just came in so strong, all of these teams. And it was very yeah. impressive. Yes, I, I was totally impressed with them. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. Is there anything else that you would want to tell anyone, tell the cheer audience that's listening? Um, I know you said that you've also actually judged stunt programs, which is more college level. So you wanted to touch on that really quick and then maybe anything else that you'd want people to hear? Well, I haven't judged my first official stunt competition yet. That is on Sunday. <laughs> so Hi. I'm going into my first high school competition on Saturday, and then I have stunt on Sunday. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, yet I'm nervous because I'm, I always want to make sure I get it right for the athletes. I, I respect what they do so much, and, and they deserve fair judging and a judge that knows what they're doing. So I'm a little nervous going into my first one. But no, I'm just, I'm looking forward to learning the stunt side of it. And I'm looking forward to getting back into just judging a few MHSAA competitions. I'm not doing many. I'm not doing the post seasons anymore. I'm just going to pick up a few competitions here and there. And then I'm going to work my way into transitioning more into, into the stunt side of it. That sounds so interesting. I definitely want to learn more about that too. Yes. And I can give you a name of someone you can talk with too. That would, could give you so much information on it. Perfect. Well, Rachel, thank you so much, Jenna. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. And I know you gave us a lot of great information on MHSAA guidelines and how the year is going to look a little different, but we're really yeah. excited to see what happens and best of luck to you with judging this season. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Another huge thank you to Rachel Stalick for taking the time to join us on the Ready, Set, Cheer podcast. Antoinette, I feel like I'm learning so much during these interviews. We've already had a lot of well-established high school coaches come on, a college coach come on, and of course now an MHSAA competitive cheerleading official. So to get Rachel's insight of number one, just breaking down the three different rounds, number two, it was just really cool to hear how she's experienced the sport grow during her time with the MHSAA. And I know in previous episodes you've even talked about how exciting it is to watch the sport expand I completely agree with Rachel especially when she was talking about the back tucks I remember when teams would just kind of throw them into round two and just land them however and just see how many girls could do it and I think it was cool that they did that because they were definitely moving the sport forward but the way they do it now like just watching some of the clips from this past weekend and some of the competitions that were going on, watching these teams do these back handsprings, back walkovers, back tucks, even their jumps, and the way that they start and finish so precisely is really interesting. I can't even like do a cartwheel right. 
<laughs> I always struggle at the beach when I try. But anyways, for everyone who's listening, if you have any questions or have any suggestions about who you'd like to see or well, who you'd like to hear come on the show, be sure to email us at readysetcheer at statechampsnetwork.com. Thank you for all of the support. We are absolutely overwhelmed with the amount of response that we've had to this podcast. We really do feel like we're shedding to light a specific high school sport that deserves a lot of credit because these cheerleaders put in so much time and effort to improve their craft. So to everyone listening, thank you so much. Please continue to share, like, and subscribe, and we'll see you next week. Best of luck at competition.